Amen. Amen. How good was that? How good was that? Amen. Wonderful. At this time, I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet as we um, open up our Bibles. I just want to, as we're doing that, if you could begin uh, opening up your Bible to the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. And while you're doing that, I just want to thank God for um, everyone who serves here at the community of the Dwelling Place Church. We just thank God for, for everyone, for those that are volunteering. I want to thank you guys for being the body of Christ. You don't have to be an official volunteer or have a title pastor to be part of the beautiful body of Christ. And today we want to appreciate you. And we want to reaffirm, um, not that we just need you, but that we love you. We, we love you. Amen. We don't just need you, but we, we love you. Um, and if you're new here, we just, we just welcome you in. Um, first and foremost, into the presence of God, we pray that we could be good stewards of his presence. Amen. Usually when we talk about stewardship, it's always in context of our finances, right? But we also have to be good stewards of God's presence. And so we pray that we represent God well to you. And, um, and we want to just let you know that there's no person in here that is king. Jesus is king. There's no person in our church that we see as Lord. Uh, only Jesus is Lord. And so we just want to um, just state that as we go forward. So if you're standing, the book of Exodus chapter, uh, let's go to 14. And I'm going to ask you if today, if you have brought your Bible or if you have your, your Bible in an app form, if you could just keep your Bible open in the book of Exodus, okay? Because gonna, I'm going to begin with some opening verses, but then we'll, we'll go a little bit through some of the chapters. Um, and so just keep, keep your, your, your Bible handy so we could just kind of follow along together. But we're going to read from Exodus chapter 14, and we're going to read verses 10 through 14. And if you have it in a Bible app and you want to follow along, we're going to be using the translation, the New International Version, for much of the verses today. There will be a couple of others that are not, but Exodus again, 14, verses 10 through 14. And we read this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the church says, Amen. Ready? I'm throwing you into a story like I, like I always do, and then we'll go, we'll do it back to the future, right? Um, it reads, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. <laughs> we have drama already. <laughs> okay, and I want you to pay attention to this next um, sentence. They, meaning the Israelites, look, they were what? Terrified. Terrified. Have you ever had to tell someone that you were terrified? Maybe a little fearful, scared, but terrified is a word in itself. It's, it's different than fearful. It's different than, you know, afraid. Terrified. I've probably used that word maybe two times in my life. And it was in terrifying moments, which are different than fearful moments and uncertain moments. When it's uncertain, you say uncertain. When there was maybe something to be afraid of, you say, I was afraid. But to use the word, I was terrified, implies significant feelings of afraidness. <laughs> All right, so 
point is they were terrified and cried out to Yahweh the Lord they said to Moses was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die what have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt didn't we say to you in Egypt leave us alone let us serve the Egyptians it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert these are words of terrified people because truthfully speaking for the past 400 years they were crying out to God to get out of Egypt and look how the terror distorts their own real desire they, for 400 years this people Israel have been crying out to God to hear, to, to, to hear them and to deliver them from the terror of Egypt. And now in their terror, they're telling Moses, you should have just left us in the terror of Egypt. <laughs> and so then Moses now is going to respond. And I think Moses responds with one of the greatest sermons that we can share to people of faith. And so look at the, look at the sermon that Moses is going to give to them. It's just two verses. Moses preached with two verses. We preached with an hour and a half, but he did it with two verses. And it's a great sermon. It says this, and Moses, and Moses answered the people. He says, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord Yahweh will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. What a sermon. So if you ever preached that and you thought you invented that, no, 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 no. Moses says, stand still. You need only to be still and see the salvation the deliverance of the lord how many people say amen what a sermon i could just sit down what a sermon right moses preached to us god bless you guys you guys may be seated unfortunately i'm going to share a few words about this because i honestly just put you in the middle of a story actually just we just we just focus uh, in the middle of a story that's already uh, is unfolding. You started at, we started at verse 10. Verses 1 through 9 are just as significant. And, and Moses' sermon of 13 and 14 stands on all of the first verses. And it's important to understand, and I know this is not anything special that we're learning here, but Exodus chapter 14 stands on Exodus chapter 13. And Exodus 13 stands on Exodus chapter 12. You guys are real smart. And Exodus chapter 12 stands on Exodus chapter 11 and so on and so forth. And more than it's standing on chapters, it's standing on a biblical narrative that doesn't even begin in Exodus. It actually begins early in Genesis. And if we had to pinpoint where does this story 
really begin, we can go all the way to Genesis chapter 12, where God meets a man, chooses a man named Abram. And from Abram, God speaks to him and tells him, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to multiply you. And in the end, the purpose of God speaking to Abraham is to tell him this. And all of the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through you and through your seed, through your children. And so we're in Exodus 14, but it actually begins with a word of God spoken in Genesis chapter 12. And the rest of Genesis, the book of Genesis, which means the beginning, is, is, is part of the narrative that leads us to this point. And we don't have time to go into all the stories. But in the end, God's word spoken to Abram comes to pass. And when you get to the end of Genesis, Abraham's seed has turned and multiplied into 12 sons that end up in the land of Egypt. And in there, God blesses this people who are now from Abraham. This seed, this generation, this family line is known as the children of Israel. And so as you read your Bibles, what's important to understand is that the Hebrew scriptures, what we know as the Old Testament, is a story, is the real story of this people. So go ahead, check it out. It's a great read, I promise. <laughs> but we're not going to go all the way there. We're just going to get to Exodus. And, and so they're in Egypt, and God blesses them with favor and his grace and his blessing. And the Bible describes this favor and blessing as multiplication. The Bible says they just begin to multiply. It's like kid here, kid there. I could imagine twins here, twins there, triplets here, triplets there. It had to be because of how rapid and how they increased in number in a short amount of time in Egypt. There had to be triplets born. There had to be quadruplets, whatever. This is just my mind going. You're not going to read a verse that says that. But you explain how in a period of probably less than 50 years, it goes from 12 sons and their wives and their children to thousands. And you know the growth is so rapid. And you know what? This is not just a, a rapid growth and unhealthy, like, oh, they're just multiplying and they're, they're weak and they're, you know, this is a bad breed here. No. In some kind of way, spiritually, this is a spiritually, genetically strong breed that the kids are coming out all right. <laughs> because what we have in the Bible is this. That the king of Egypt, who not so much his name is Pharaoh, but his title is Pharaoh, who is also seen as a man, but a deity himself, the king of Egypt, who is also seen as godlike, a godlike man with a kingdom, strong and mighty, and has his fellow Hebrew uh, neighbors who, because of the story of Joseph, which we're going to skip out on, but through Joseph, these neighbors get access into the land of Egypt, and now you, they become neighbors within themselves. And so you got this Jewish people community, these Hebrews, who are multiplying, strong and mighty, and then you got this godlike figure 
king of the world, king of, you know. Now, he becomes terrified. The godlike man is now terrified of this newborn people. I mean, in a matters of years, they turned into this mighty group. And he gets so terrified of them that he has this imaginary battle in his head. Have you ever had an imaginary fight with someone? Amen. You know how that fight goes? I know what you're thinking. And you're thinking this. And you're saying this. And you have this whole war go on in your head. And you know what it causes us to do? It causes us to respond and say something. And many times it causes us to respond and do something. And the person is thrown off guard and they have no why. And, and you know why? It's because they had a fight with you in their head. And so now they're twisting your arm and pulling your hair. And you're like, what just happened? And the person's like, we're having a fight here. And it all started here. Husbands and wives know exactly what I'm talking about. Parents and children know exactly what I'm talking about. Brothers and sisters know exactly what I'm talking about. Where this whole fight goes down in here that does not take place in reality, but it is born out of insecurity and anxiety, oftentimes fear. And so you know what happens to Pharaoh? In his mind, these people are just living their mind and their business. God is blessing them. But in his mind, he has this battle. You know what's the battle? You can read it in Genesis and Exodus. It says in his mind, he's filled, he's filled with this terror. And in his mind, these Israelites, these Hebrews, all team up together against him. There were no protest signs against the capital of Egypt, Cairo, none of that. They were just doing, living life and having a good day. And all of a sudden, in this man's head... He's filled with terror, and he says, they're planning to come against me. But this, it doesn't end there. You know what, what it goes on? The, this is what it turns into. And you know what? They're planning to join with, with my enemies of the surrounding nations. And so now, in Pharaoh's head, the Hebrews are against him and planning a revolt, and they're, they're, they're messaging the, the surrounding enemy nations. And there's this huge plot to overthrow him and his people and take over. None of that was a reality. It was all born out of terror and fear. Just like we see in the passages that we read when the Israelites are filled with terror, in their mind, they want to go back there. So you can see how terror and fear distort your very own views your views of yourself and your views of what people are planning against you. I would suggest to you, if you're walking around thinking that everyone is out to get you, I'm not saying that there are not evil people out there, but if, if you live life, my mother-in-law is out to get me, my wife is out to get me, my two-year-old daughter is out to get me, and the pastor is out to get me too, and the church just wants my money, I would tell you to check your fears and check your insecurities, check your anxieties to make sure that you're not creating wars and you're creating battles with people that only exist here and not even in reality. And so out of that, you know what it turns into? I want to let you know that the Exodus story, and we're going to read, we're, we're, just so you know, we're reading the chapter where the Red Sea opens up and the people cross through on dry ground. 
that this is no kid's story. I mean, it's for everyone, but don't, I don't want you to dumb this down to, you know, these walls of water and turtles and, you know, finding Nemo going down the sides as they walk on dry ground. And, and it's just a great and bright day. The Exodus story, the reason why the, the, the whole entire book is called Exodus, because it displays God's mighty, powerful hand to deliver these Hebrews out of the bondage of this Pharaoh and this Egyptian nation. And there are stories of blood in here and stories of deaths in here. And you know what? As I, as I looked at this, there, there's so much, I don't know what's the best word to explain this, but there's so much contrast in these stories and these chapters even down to what God is doing. And when I say contrast, you know when you talk about contrast, what you're really talking about is black tones versus white tones and how they, how they stand out. It's, a, it's about eliminating the gray areas, right? This gray. And there's so much contrast when you read this that you cannot second guess what's going to happen in the next chapter. Sometimes you can't even second guess what's going to happen in the next verses because it seems this color it seems like, okay, this is how this works. But then in a few verses later, you realize that that's not how it works. And then you think that, okay, great, I got a pattern. Here's a new pattern. And then when you go a couple of verses, it changes again. And you just see this with the nation of Israel. You see this with Pharaoh. And you also see this with God. You even see this with God. And so I want to advise that when we read our Bible and we think that, that, that everything we read is a template for how God does something, you, as you read your Bible, you're going to come across a lot of questions. And you're going to say, but I thought I saw this, I thought I saw God do this this way. And therefore, we create a template that because God did something this way here in the Bible, that he's going to do it that way there in the Bible. And it's, and, it's, and it's difficult, and it's a journey, and it takes work, and you have to work through those things. Now, I'm going to read to you a verse here. In Numbers 23, and I'm sorry, media team, I do not have that. You're good. But in Numbers 23, it says this, God is not a human, that he should lie, not a human being, that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? And so what is significant here, all of this, but if you focus on he, uh, he's not a human being that he should change his mind. I want you to understand that when you read that and when we read passages of scripture that says God does not change his mind. And when we go on to read like in Malachi 3.6 that it says, for I the Lord do not change. And when we read in Hebrews 13.8 that says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, what we must not do is think that there's a pattern to understanding that because God did this, then he will do that at every situation. When we talk about God not changing his mind, when we say that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we are talking about the person of his being. It does not mean that we can create a template and a pattern for how he acts. And when you read the Bible, you're going to be full of surprises in that you will read God acting this way here, but then it might appear that he's changed his mind, but he didn't. It just goes to show you that we cannot just template God's actions. And all you got to do is read a couple of stories in the Bible. And so that's what I mean about you even see a contrast sometimes with 
what we read and we see what God is doing. But those are the things that we have to work through and push through and see the bigger picture. Okay, so I want to challenge you to do that in your journey. But this is no bedtime story in that Pharaoh and his anxiety, he then takes the Hebrews and he enforces slavery over them. He enslaves a whole people, why? All out of his insecurity and fear. His own insecurity and fear. He then puts them in bondage and he makes them slaves. And you, you, we literally, literally read that they built the city of Ramses. I can't imagine some of the stuff now. I love like history and artifacts and all that stuff now. I hated it as a child. I love it now. Like I wanna go to Egypt. But can you imagine some of these monuments that we see, knowing that the Hebrew hand was possibly on some of those things? It was forced labor on them. They built cities for Pharaoh and Ramses, all because of insecurity. What do we, have, what do we impose on others that we have them in the middle of building on our behalf, not with their intention in mind? but with our insecurity. What demands are we making on people? How do we expect people to serve us and it's at their expense because of our own anxiety? And this is what he literally does. And so he just gets more terrified and the story doesn't get any prettier. It gets to the point that he tells the midwives of the Hebrews, when a male child is born, Kill him. Kill the male child. This is no kid's story. Can you imagine what that would be like? A mother after nine months, nine months carrying a baby, and the person who's helping you to, to birth the child then kills the child. And the Bible talks about that two midwives, it highlights two midwives who could not do it. And through that, Pharaoh just only gets more filled with anxiety. And the rest of the story, I'm allowed you to read. But in that story, there's a woman who puts her son in a basket. She puts him in a basket. Pharaoh and his insecurity, because the women don't, are not killing the babies at birth, the next command is to take the babies and throw them in the Nile. And so this one mother takes her son and takes this little basket and, and, and pitches it with tar and puts the baby in and lays him in the Nile in trust. And what ends up happening, the daughter of Pharaoh finds him and she draws him out of the water and says, I'm going to call him Moses. And Moses means to draw out or drawing out. She names him according to the action of how she saved him. And his sister had followed and then the sister says, do you want me to find a woman that can nurse him? And Pharaoh's daughter says, yes, take him, find, find, some, find someone to nurse him and bring him back later. And I'll pay whoever's going to take care of this baby. And so Pharaoh's daughter's heart is in contrast to her father's. One is commanding babies to be slaughtered at birth and being thrown in the Nile. One Egyptian heart and the daughter of this 
chaotic man lost in his insecurities. His daughter is the total opposite and is drawing babies out of the water. And his pain for this child to be saved. And the, and, and the sister takes him right back to his mother, his mother. And his mother has the privilege to nurse her very own son. But after he is weaned, he's sent back. And this baby Moses is the, you can say, is the grandson of Pharaoh. <laughs> what irony. What contrast. And he grows up. He grows up knowing that he's a Hebrew, but right there in the palace. Long story short, things go bad. Moses ends up killing an Egyptian. And later he's just forced to flee. He goes out. He's gone for 40 years. And God appears to him in this uh, theatric scene with a bush that's on fire. And the angel of the Lord is there. Calls Moses to it. Moses is terrified. The angel says, take the shoes off your feet for the place that you're standing is holy ground. And Moses has to take the shoes off. And then he invites him into the presence of this burning bush. And this is all just from Exodus chapter 1. You could, you could read all of that from Exodus chapter 1 and Exodus chapter 3. Okay? And then God speaks to him and he says, you know what? I'm sending you into Egypt where he just fled from and he's been away from for a very long time. And you're, I'm going to use you to deliver my people. I want you to know that I have remembered them. Exodus chapter 2 ends. The last verse in Exodus chapter 2 says this, and God remembered Israel, the Hebrews, and he had compassion on them. But I want you to also understand that when you read it, it says God remembered, and you'll read that a couple of times throughout your Bible, that God remembered here, he remembered Israel, or he remembered this person. It doesn't mean that God forgot them, and then he remembered them. The word remembered has the context of this. It just means it's a moment in time where God is going to move to action. So it's not that he had forgot them for 400 years. It's not that he, was, he didn't know where they were at for 400 years. Because if you read Genesis 15, God told Abram after he told him in Genesis chapter 12 that he was going to multiply him. In Genesis chapter 15, God visits Abraham in a vision and he tells him, I want you to know that your people are going to be in a land that is not their own. And they're going to be there for 400 years. But then after that, I'm going to judge that nation and then I'm going to bring your people out with great substance. So don't think that God didn't know where they were at for 400 years, don't think that he forgot. And all of a sudden he said, oh my God, the Hebrews, I left them in Egypt. <laughs> what did I do? No. But when it says he remembered, it's an indication that he's about to get up and move to action. So when you read, and God remembered her, it means that God's doing something. The problem when we say, oh yeah, I remember that. We're saying it as an afterthought. We forgot about the thing. And most of the time we're like, oh, yeah, I remember. And we keep on going. But when God remembers, he moves. When God remembers, he moves. And so he tells, he tells Moses, I'm going to remember through you. Moses is like, what, me? It's a beautiful story how God calls someone who feels incapable. And he takes and he says, pick up this stick and watch what happens. And Moses is walking around with this little branch that has magic powers in it. He probably looks like a little wizard of Waverly Place going around. <laughs> Coming out of Hogwarts Academy or something, but no. <laughs> He's got his magic stick in his hand, this staff. But it's not a magician's stick. It's God's power in his hand. 
He says, and if you use this stick, and if you speak when I tell you to speak, I will speak through you, and when you pick up this staff, you will see my hand. If, if you show up, right, if you show up in obedience, I show up in power. You, you show up and get past you and all your insecurities, you show up in obedience, I will show up in power. You lift your hand, I'll lift mine. And so the story that we get and the narrative that brings us to Exodus 14 is a story of Moses going into Egypt and God destroying, God showing the Egyptians who worship other gods and God showing this man who believes that he is God and God shows these people who believe that the man is God that he is not God. And if you want to keep him on a platform as God, then you're going to, by the time this is over, you're going to know that there's levels to this. And if you want to make yourself to be God, Yahweh is going to show that he's on top of whatever God you believe. And with something so interesting, 10 plagues, Moses goes in there to display God's hand. And what's God's hand for Israel are plagues on Egypt. And in, in those, text, those 10 plagues, each one of them in many ways shows how God is more powerful than one of their gods. He literally attacked their whole worship system and deconstructed it through the 10 plagues. If they worship this thing, he showed them that he was on top of that thing. And in the very end, he showed that Pharaoh himself, he was above. This is no kid's story. And so Pharaoh... In Exodus chapter 13, finally releases them. Exodus 13, verses 17 through 18, we're going to read. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country. Look, though that was shorter. What a contrast already. There's a shorter route, but I'm not going to lead you there. Who wants to go to sh the shorter route? If you put in your GPS that you have to go to Tampa... And what do our GPS show you now these days? They show you multiple routes. They show you uh, the free slow route, and they show you the faster toll road. And sometimes I think they just lying and want my money. I don't trust my GPS system no more. And then when you realize sometimes it saves you like 30 seconds, but you paid $5 to get there 30 seconds faster. Anyway. <laughs> but the point is, right, the point is there are shorter routes to destination. In an ideal situation, the shorter route is the faster route, therefore it is the best route. But right here, we're seeing in this story that the shorter route is not the best route, even though it's the faster route. And the reason is this, why did God not lead them through the, through the road, through the Philistine country, though it was shorter? Look, for God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. And look what it says. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Do you believe that? I don't. Maybe, or or maybe, maybe they did for just a day. Because where you and I read in the next chapter, we read... How were they, ready for battle? They were terrified. Wait a minute. How do you go ready for battle? And a chapter later, you're terrified, saying you want to go back. You see what 
Fear, anxiety, insecurity, and terror does to a person. One minute, and this, is, this happens to us all the time if we're honest. You are ready to fight the devil. You got, you got, two, two, you know, you got uh, two rounds of, of spiritual battle uh, armor on you. Like, I loaded up twice today. Don't play with me. I put on my helmet in the morning, and I got another helmet at night, and I got two, you know, I got, you know, I got two swords. I don't got one. I'm swinging here. I go to Bible study, and, you know, and I go to Sunday service, and I do it my extra credit. Like, you got swords everywhere, right? And you're armored up, ready to go. And I know, you know, I just fasted. You know, I'm prayed up. You're ready to, you know, rebuke disease out of someone, and, you know, you're ready. Don't, like, devil, don't play with me. I will rebuke you out of my sister today, Right? We've all had those moments where when we go out, we're ready for battle. And then all of a sudden, it gets real. And now you just threw the armor off, you're terrified, and you're ready to go back to where you can, you're ready to run back into your bedroom. And that was, that was their experience. But we see here that there is a shorter and faster route, but it's not a better route because God knows men. If, if, they, if, if they have a clear path back to Egypt, they're going to go back when they get afraid. And so the verses that we read are to show us that in their minds, they think they're ready for battle. But God knows that if at any chance they, go, they step into fear, they're running right back. So what God does is he leads them away that they don't even realize. They, they didn't even have to go through the sea technically. But he led them on a direction that later on we're going to see that if he miraculously opens the sea to get to the other side, the only way back is to go through the sea again. And so look at God playing games. He's, he's playing games on their behalf. And he's, he's literally leading them the longer way, but the longer way is to protect them. And many times this is how God works in, on our behalf. We would all, we all, most people are not praying for God to make anything longer. Ra raise your hand if you came here and said, God, do this later. <laughs> Don't lie. You know you came in here like, God, do this now. We believe in you now. Miracles now. Healing now. Well, it's always now. And what, what now for us is we believe that you can do it now. We're praying. What that is? Faster, shorter, now. And many times what God is doing is longer, 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 no way back until he delivers you to a place. Because you know what the walking longer does? Over time, it strengthens you. Over time, longer builds muscles. Over time, longer gives you more time with you and God. And when we do things so fast and God opens doors so fast, you know what's that expense? Character. Patience, endure. The faster you get there, if you run for 30 seconds fast and you only do that one time, but if you run for 30 seconds fast, walk and then run for 30 seconds fast and say, I'm not ending the workout, I'm going to make the workout longer, in time you are stronger. And so God doesn't take them the faster now <laughs> type of faith. He takes them the longer type of faith. And so now we also know that for 400 years, they felt God so far. It's not that he was, 
But you would think, right, because everything is now for us, right? Everything is now for us, but God had this plan of contrast that what he was doing, he was developing over 400 years. And God actually was developing a plan. His, sovereign, his sovereignty was, was still working a plan that lasted 400 years of bondage for this people. That's so in contrast to how we think about God. But these are not kids' stories in that they challenge us to think then about how God does things. Because the Bible's revealing who God is. The Bible's telling us about the character of God. And you have to read these and you have to wrestle with these moments. Because we can't get our theology from a worship song that we created. Because the worship song might be God does it now or whatever, I don't know. Here, now. <laughs> well, he, they were 400. Well, can we make a song that says 400 years, Lord, and 400 years you'll deliver us because it's part of your sovereign plan, Lord. Never shorter, longer. Who, we don't ever make songs that speak about how God sometimes moves. No, right? People looking at me with straight faces like, no, we're not making that song. I'm not saying to. I'm not saying we have to make the song. But you have to make room in your mind. You got to make room in your mind that when he, when, when he does a miracle instantly in the Bible, in one chapter, doesn't mean he did a miracle and he delivered someone in an instant in another. This is 400 years of deliverance in the making. And this is not just any old story, okay? For the, Hebrew, all right, for the Christian faith, what makes up everything of who we are? If you had to pick one story in the New Testament, please don't, you guys know this. What one story everything hangs on for us? The cross, the tomb, the resurrection. If you, if you, if you, if, if you brought it down to the, to the bones of our faith, it is the death, burial, and resurrection. Not the letter here, not about how the gifts of the Spirit work, not about this. It all comes down at the end. If you strip everything away, it is death, burial, and resurrection for Christians, right? If you talk to the Hebrews, if you strip everything down to the bones for them, you know what is their story? This is their story. The, the opening of the Red Sea is, is, is the birthing of, of, of all that God has for them. It's their deliverance. It's their salvation. It's their death, burial, and resurrection. The, you know, death in Egypt, buried, and then God resurrecting them through the sea. It's them coming back to life. It's their baptism. It's their baptism born again into this new humanity, community, and, and they're going to learn who God is. Just like for a Christian believer, it's the cross, it's the tomb, it's the resurrection, and we're born into this new life, and we even get baptized. Our baptism is only a shadow of their baptism. They went through the waters and came out new. And look, for us in our baptism, who do we say dies? Who dies in our baptism? The old man, right? The old man is our bondage. The old man is who we're slave to, right? That sin nature dies. So for the children of Israel, guess who is their old man? Pharaoh and the Egyptians and, his, and the taskmasters. So God is baptizing them and they're coming out as this new people. Amen. So this story is their identity. And it's 400 years in the making. But he remembers, and his remembering is going to move him. And it's so awesome and weird and crazy and scary because it, it, you can't second guess how he's going to move. Right? So we know that for 400 years, 
For them, he felt far away. And, and for 400 years, they didn't see this Yahweh being, okay? They didn't see him. Mo Moses is the first person getting a glimpse of something divine in 400 years. Do you realize that? They're not burning bushes in the land of Goshen. This is a first encounter, and it says the angel of the Lord is there, literally talking about this could be God, this could be Jesus incarnate in our Bibles, okay? And he's having this encounter at the burning bush. That is, that is phenomenal, and that is new. It's a new experience. It's a new revelation of God's presence. So look what happens. God doesn't just leave it for Moses to experience. He's now going to reveal that same presence to all of them. And look at the contrast. God is absent, so to say, for 400 years. And when God appears to Moses, he said, Moses says, uh, you know how he introduces himself to Moses? He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, just so you know. I know you don't know me. And I know you, you, don't, you, you don't know what it is to hear me. And I know you don't know my voice. I, I am the, because why? If the people, all the people had for 400 years wasn't a temple, wasn't a church, wasn't the presence of God, wasn't burning bushes, all they had was stories. They're like, they cried out to God only because the story that of God speaking to Abraham was passed down. But not because they had church every Sunday, not because they had sacrifices and, uh, you know, this temple thing. That didn't come till after. So this is even before the formation of their church as a people. And he says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's who's talking to you. And then Moses says, and what's your name? What am I going to say? And this is where we get where God says, I am that I am. The revealed name of God, it translates down to Yahweh. And so our God, their God, has a name that distinguishes him from the rest of the other gods. So they already know when he says Yahweh, they're like, yep, that's not one of the gods that was in Egypt. That's not one of Pharaoh's gods. That's not one of the Egyptians' gods. This is some new God who's revealing himself. But he's saying that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I'm coming to rescue you. This is powerful, amazing narrative story here. And so, look, God goes from being, like, absent and invisible to them to being right in their face. Look at Exodus chapter 3, verses 21 to 23. Look at the contrast from absent T God to right up in your face kind of God. It says this in verse 21 of 13. Follow along. By day, look, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on the way. And look, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they can travel by day or night. Verse 22, neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place. And where is it at? Where does it read? It didn't leave its place where? In front of the people. So we just go from God not being anywhere in sight in their minds to that little burning bush turned into a pillar of fire for them and a cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. And it tells us this, that now it's in front of them and before them. I'm like, whoa, thank you for showing up. It took you 400 years, but you, you showed up. He became visible to them. It's a visible manifestation of the spirit and the presence of Yahweh. And it says this, he traveled where? Again, in front of them. So now they are getting in their minds 
that God is before me. You know how we say that? Oh, God is before us. God is for us. God, we're being led by the Spirit, right? And, and for us, in our minds, those are just ways to try to explain how we know that God is. But So when they say God is for us, they see him in front of them. Now, when they say God is before us, they see his presence tangible in front of them. When they say we're, we're following the Spirit of God, yes, the Spirit of God is literally in front of them, either as smoke clouds of glory or fire clouds of scary glory. Okay? Do you see now the contrast in how God, God was with them for 400 years. He wasn't absent for 400 years. And now he's with them just visibly with them. So look at the contrast. So when we say, oh, God's always a burning bush in front of us, sometimes he is. But this story challenges us to show that sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Even if he's moving in a way that you can't feel or see, so to say. He's a God that remembers. And he is before them and he's allowing them to, to see it. Has anyone ever been in moments where, where you feel like God allows you to see him? Or you just know that he's there in front of you? Because we all know when mo when we, that, that we've all passed through moments where we don't, we don't feel that we see him. And we don't feel that we feel him. And we don't feel that he's in front of us. We, and at times you feel like the nation, like, where is God? But man, how good are those moments when you know and you, you, you could almost literally, you, what we say is, I see in the spirit, right? I see in the spirit, he is here. And that's what, and, and, and we're going forward because we're being led by his spirit. And you just know that you know that you know. And it's almost tangible, his presence. And this is a beautiful place. All right, so now what happens? Naturally, in our minds, we're going to create a template that God is always in front of us. But I told you that these stories challenge us to create templates, even though God says, I don't change my mind. And even though the Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, do not create a template because you read that he literally manifested as a fire cloud smoke in front of them. Okay, because we're going to keep reading. But what ends up happening, we get to Exodus 14. And so we know they're not going the, sh the shorter route, they're going the longer route. But as they're moving, his, his presence is in front of them, manifested, literally in front of them. But we also know that he's leading them and he's positioning them towards the Red Sea. And when you get to 14, you realize that this is part of God's plan. God, God's GPS didn't mess up like ours did. He is the system. He is the spirit that is leading them, and he's putting them in front of a sea. And it's all part of his plan. Look at what it says in Exodus 14 in the beginning verses. Remember I told you that those verses, you know, 14 hangs on, 13, 13 on 12. Look at the beginning verse towards the beginning. It says this, Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. He says, when, when, when Pharaoh sees them in front of this Red Sea, he's going to think that they, they're stuck. He's going to think they're confused and they, and, and, they, and they got themselves in a bad situation. But what God says is this is part of a greater plan. He says this, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. 
And some might say, well, man, it's not Pharaoh's fault. God hardened his heart. Well, you need to understand that when you read, you're going to see that Pharaoh already had a hard heart. He was a, babies were already being slaughtered at birth. Babies were already being thrown in the Nile. All God did was took, not took advantage, but he used the wicked man to only further reveal his plan to save. And he just took a man's heart who was already wicked and just worked it into the plan. He didn't take a, heart, a, a, a loving heart and harden it. He took a hateful, insecure, murderous heart and worked it into his plan. And look what he says. Now, how many people remember? In the first song, there was a line that said something about glory in it. We glorify, right? Can someone remember the first song? What is, right? For, fill my life for you to be glorified to that connotation, right? To be... Glorify your name. In the second song, we said, worthy is his name. So when we're thinking of for you to be glorified, what images pop in your head? For me, they're beautiful images. For you to be glorified is maybe me just, you know, at the feet of Jesus in front of that burning bush, and we're just all glorifying God. And and that would be glorifying too. Look at the contrast of how the Bible talks about how God's going to glorify himself. (laughs) But... I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. So you know how the rest of the story plays out? He's going to drown all of them, and they're all going to die. And that's how God is going to gain glory. I'm just putting some contrast in here. Because we have these words, and we have these phrases, and we have... God's a now kind of God, and this is, this is to give glory to God. And there are pictures that start coming into our head, and we start creating theologies about how God is going to do things. And one minute God's a, a burning bush, and in the me- next minute he's not a burning bush. You're going to see that one minute God's in front of you, and the next minute the, the, the fire is not in front of you. And you're going to see that glorifying God, yes, is sometimes singing a beautiful song to him, And at other times, glorifying God is not in ways that we would envision it. But God says, I'm going to gain glory. And you're going to also see this, that gaining glory is not just about believers acknowledging God, but part of God receiving glory is both the believer and the non-believer crumbling at the feet of Jesus. And Israel will fall at the feet of God in this narrative. And Egypt will crumble at the feet of God in this narrative. And it's all to give God the glory. So, we, so when we're in these crazy situations, we got to be able to still sing. That's why I said that when we sang today, it was beautiful. Because the truth of the matter is, some of you are in crumbling situations. And so then when we're singing, we're singing glory to God. That is you entrusting the crumbling onto God and trusting that he is still God and he is good. So I think we did a good job. I'm not knocking what we did. Because I understand that there are things that are crumbling for some of us. But we're standing here still giving. And may God get the glory through it all. And so I told you, I'll start wrapping up here. Moses gets up and preaches this great sermon because what ends up happening after this is this is all part of God's plan to get glory and then the Egyptians and Pharaoh pursue after them and when the Hebrews look 
and they see them coming, they're terrified. And terror destroys whatever faith, whatever belief, whatever desire they had. This is what terror and fear will do. You will, on a good day with God, you say that you want this and you'll start proclaiming promises that are true for you. On days of terror, it's like they don't even matter. And this is the challenge that we will face on days when it's crumbling. And so we have to learn how to have faith on the good day, but you need a faith that lasts to the bad day. Because it is easier to have faith on a good day. It is easier to believe and trust God when, you know, when you're in front of that burning bush. And it was cool. They marched forward. They're like, great, we got a pillar of fire. I'm all with this. Let's go. But then the minute that they see the Egyptians and Pharaoh coming, they're like, were there no graves in Egypt? We should have just died there. We told you. We, why did you even bring us out here? Really? That's the distortion of terror where it manipulates which, what you even desire in God. And they desired their freedom, trust me. They did not want to be there. Because why? When the doors opened, they gladly followed Moses, and they were like, hurrah, we got a fire cloud with us. And so they start marching. <laughs> we're on our way out, <laughs> right? They're marching with their pillar of smoke, they got, and they're ready for battle. They got their armor on, their spiritual armor on. Let's go. And then all of a sudden they see, why'd you have armor if you weren't ready for a fight, right? The armor goes out the window. The trust in God goes out the window. The trust in Moses goes out the window. And they're desiring to be back. And then Moses gets up and preaches this awesome sermon. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. That's a good sermon. Because there are times when that's the sermon that needs to be preached. But what did I tell you? Be careful with making templates. All right? Because Moses was the first one to preach, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. And after that, preachers and pastors for thousands of years, that has become our sermon when things are crumbling. Just stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you. The Lord will fight for you. Just stand still. Don't just wait. Wait on the Lord. Just wait on him. Because why? I believe that is, a, that, that is a sermon. That is a sermon that we see in scripture. Moses preached it. Later on, the psalmist would, would um, do I have this? I know I have this somewhere. Please tell me I have it somewhere. Oh, my goodness. I had it. Oh, I have it right here. Okay. And Psalms 46, verses 1 through 3. Look at this. The psalmist said, and this is not David. This is from the sons of Korah. God is our refuge and strength, a, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, verse 3, though its waters roar, roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake and its swelling, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. You could almost take that and, and it's almost like a copy and paste out of Moses' sermon. And Moses tells everyone, just be still. They're coming, but just hold tight. And there are moments when that's what you need to do. There are moments when the only thing you can do is be still. And know that he is God. Anyone been in those moments? And, and then you see the salvation of the Lord? But the problem is when we think that every battle 
is a battle that needs to be fought being still. Today I want to suggest to you that there is a real contrast in sermons. And there is the sermon that you have to be still and know that he's God. And there's actually the sermon when real faith is not being still. Where real faith is walking forward. And you, know, you want to know why I say that? Like, Pastor, you can't say that. Moses just said, be still. The psalmist just said, be still. Well, you know what? I'm going to tell you why I'm saying this. Because when the people said we should have died in Egypt and you should have left us there, Moses gets up and says, I got to get my best sermon out now. I don't know what I'm going to do. I got to inspire these people. Moses sees the people crumbling and he goes and says, this is what I got. Be still and see the salvation of the Lord. Just wait. But in the very next verses, God says, good job, Moses. You get points for trying here. God gets up and he preaches a different sermon. Do you know that? Do you know that? I believe Psalms 46, where it says, stand still, be still, know that he is God, that that was the appropriate sermon for that time. Moses preached the right words at the wrong time. The reason why is because when you look at Exodus 14, verse 15, the very next verse is after, after Moses says, stand still, look what God says. God says, no, don't stand still. Then the Lord said to Moses, you guys see it? Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to what? He's like, good try, Moses. But the faith that they need is not the one that you stand still. The faith that they need is the one that you got to move forward. Raise that little stick, that little staff, once again, and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. You don't need a sit kind of faith. You need a through kind of faith. You don't need a stand and wait kind of faith. You need a march now kind of faith. And, and today, I felt this in my heart because this is the failure of churches. We tend to preach from one side always. We always tell people just stand still, stand still, stand still. And God said, Moses, great wrong time move forward and sometimes we're telling our church when you don't know what to do just wait just wait and we throw these blanket statements on hundreds of people but everyone is going through a different situation the truth of the matter someone needs to discern when they need to stand still and the other person needs to discern when they need to get up and move forward God sat down for 400 years but then he discerned that he needed to get up and remember Israel and God went from standing still to moving forward and so as God's people Someone can't tell you this. Today, my sermon title is when, when faith is moving forward. I think that's my title. No, when faith is forward. The reason why I want to tell you when faith, when faith is forward is when you're going forward, when you're deciding forward, when you're taking action forward, is because most of the time we only know the message of standing still. So the church and most of us Christians believe faith is standing still. Faith is sitting and waiting. You have to discern. You have to discern that moment. For someone in here, you need to decide to go forward. But for someone else in here, you need to decide to stand still. Moses said you would see the salvation of the Lord. 
And if he said that at the right timing, it would be true. So for someone, if it's a standstill, I'm telling you, you're going to see the salvation of the Lord. But God also told Moses, if they go forward, you're going to see the deliverance and you will experience the salvation. The key is for you to discern what God is saying to you. And that makes the discernment so much harder. Because if I got up here and I'd even tell you that God preached a better sermon than Moses, I could have easily just wrote on stand still and everyone's like, yes, I'm just going to stand still. And for half of you, it'll be the greatest decision in the moment that you're in. For the other half of you, we would have led you astray because what God wants for the other half is to move forward. And so this puts personal responsibility for you to seek God and don't just think that the church is going to come here and tell you what to do. I'm just waiting, I'm just waiting for Pastor to tell me to stand or go. Today I'm telling you I don't know if you need to stand or go. But some of us will also be able to testify that there were moments when they knew God had them standing still. And they knew they couldn't make a move. But they also know that then they discerned the right moment and God said, now it's not time to get up. And for many ways, that's what the church is on. God moved us because it, he, our faith wasn't staying, our faith was going. And then we got here and then faith for us was then standing still here. And now we feel that God's telling us to go. Those are the difficult moments in life. Discerning when to stay and when to go. And for us as a church, for what God is doing, I believe he's calling us into a move forward. With this whole trusting God, amen, God is leading us. God has led us to a Red Sea. <laughs> With this whole process of the building. I'm calling this the Red Sea journey. There's a faster, easier, and shorter way to entering this promise God has for us. But God knows if he makes it shorter and faster, we're not going to gain strength that we could get if the journey is longer. And you can't, I can't even begin to tell you how many things was like, oh my goodness, why does it have to be this hard? And God's got to remind me, remember when I tell you to tell the church that a promise given is not a promise handed? It's because you were going to live that. It was going to be a Red Sea moment. And many of these things, the easiest thing, when we get to these hard places with this whole process, your human default is just stand still and do nothing. Or in those days that I'm really not, you know, good up in here, and it's not a high faith moment on top of the mountain, I'm like the children of Israel. We should just go back and just stay. Why are we even here, you know? And we all know these voices in our head where it's just, it's easier to go back, it's easier to stay, it's easier not to make a decision. But along the way, in all of the trials of this journey, I'm noticing there is this pattern of us having to still move forward. Because there's, there's at least five things that we could have said, nah, we're not going forward. Not, I'm not going forward. Last week, we got two huge news. It's like, well, it, news for someone who doesn't have to understand. I think I'm learning. I'm learning. Because last week, I did good. <laughs> I did good. I, I, I told myself, this is just... This is just how it's going to be, and we're just going to have faith, and we're going to go forward. We've got so much done in the process, we come so far, too much to tell. You could basically say, right now, we're ready, and we're at a part where now lenders aren't ready. 
Due to COVID, now no one wants to give us the loan. The loan amount that we need. Our loan officer comes back and says, ah, due to all these restrictions and stuff, now the economy's unstable. Now we don't want to lend you this certain amount of money. The building we're trying to buy is $1.1 million. We have to put 20% down, closing costs, construction almost $50,000. Yeah, this is real money. Angels are not coming down and paying, giving us checks, and angels are not going to build this, and an angel doesn't work for Osceola permitting. <laughs> okay? The contractor is a real man. Okay? We get everything ready. We get our financials, everything. We got architect drawings, everything ready. We've come so far. The longer journey, I know I have grown, personally. And I know if it was faster and shorter, I would still be the same person. But because it's already been this long, I'm already smart. I'm already at least a percentage smarter than what I was. My faith has already grown by 0.5% in this journey. And so what we need a loan for, one could say, is $900,000. And now no one wants to give more than $500,000 to us. And I told myself, that's the devil. <laughs> I'm faithed up. I got two helmets on. I got five swords swinging. I'm geared up, man. Devil, don't play with me. I'm like, two things are going to happen here. A lender is going to loan us the money, or some miraculous way, $500,000 extra is going to come into the account. And you know what? I'm not going to second guess. I'm not going to try to figure that out. I'm trusting we're going forward. Then we get a phone call the day after, and I'm still faithed up. Like, hey, there's a problem. We found a problem. I'm not even going to tell you what the problem but we found a problem. And that problem could be $60,000. Like, wait, Brian, no, you ain't telling me this right now. I'm like, who says I got a chop right now, Brian? Because I ain't playing. Now it's $30,000 problem that we weren't expecting. But you know what? I know this is not where we back down and where we stand still and where we sit down like we're going forward I told Ryan before service we, we did everything that we need to do because if there's anything else that I need to do let, just tell me we're going to do it we're going forward okay we waited we're going forward they're standing still now but it's okay because when God remembers he remembers so I want to invite you guys to believe with us and I want to invite you to seek God, to discern the moment that you're in. Trust me, I could have preached this message, left out what God said, just preached what Moses said, and we would all be like, we're standing still. Maybe as a church, we're all going forward, but in your personal life, where God is at too. You want to know something else that changed that was a contrast? <laughs> it says this. God gets up and he preaches that great sermon to them. And the Bible, okay, it says this, look, I'm going to end with this. Verse, oh, and, the, and continuing the verses, okay, sorry. He says, raise up your staff and I will stretch out my hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the heart of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army through his chariots and his horsemen. How? Not because Pharaoh and the chariots are going to break out in a praise break. No, he's going to kill them. He's going to gain glory by breaking the bondage of stronghold. That's, what, that's how he's gaining glory. He's destroying the stronghold in their life. It's brutal, but it's how God is going to break 
the idolatry over them, the falsehood over them, the, the toil over them. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. God is so good that he's not just considering you seeing his glory. He's considering your enemies seeing his glory. He's not just considering that the church believers experience the glory of God. He will show his glory even if he has to break the enemy. But he will gain glory. It's not just about the Israelites coming out saying, wow, God is good. Yahweh is God. It's about the Egyptians at the end of this story say, we don't know who Yahweh is, but he is God. Then look at this. Where was the angel? Where was the pillar of fire at the whole time? Where was it? In front of them. Be careful with templates. Oh, so the presence of God, I always see it. It's always in front of me. I always feel him leading me. Then the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. So you got to know when to stand still. You got to know when to go forward. You got to know when the angel is in front of you and you got to discern when he's behind you. And know that that changes maybe the experience, but it can't change your confidence in God. And so on the days where he's a pillar of glory in front of you, know that he's with you. But when you don't see him, know he's not too far. He's just behind you. It says this. It withdrew behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved in front and stood behind them. So what changed? The cloud didn't change. The fire didn't change. It just relocated position. It was still burning. It was still for them. It just went from being physically in front of them those days that we know he's there to it got into a position where they couldn't see him, but they had to have faith that it was behind them. Coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud broke darkness to one, brought darkness to one side and the light to the other side. So neither went near the other night, the, the other all night long. I want to tell you, even in the moments where he's knocked this pillar of fire in front of you, he's still, he is fighting for you. He's just fighting in ways that you can't see. So he's still leading. He's just protecting you from behind. Exodus 14, 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and all that night the Lord drove back the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and a wall and, and on their left. So there's the turtle. There's Nemo. Wonderful. Verse 29. In between those verses, that was verse 22, is when the Egyptians say, oh, they're going through. We can do that, too. And as they step in there, the Bible says that God confused them and he started, their wheels started getting stuck. And eventually they realized like, oh my God, this God is fighting for them. And they try, they try to retreat back. They can't. God closes the wall. He tells, he tells Moses, now get that staff again. Wave it one more time. Verse 29, but the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day, Yahweh saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Faith is sometimes walking forward. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. There are moments to sit in faith, but there are moments to walk by faith. Galatians 5, 25, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. There are times where your faith needs to wait, and there are times where your faith needs to walk.
Let's stand to our feet. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. Father, we help first and foremost, Lord, to renew our minds, Lord, and to deliver us in our minds, Lord. If we have preconceived ideas of who you are and how you move, if we have bad patterns in our head of when you're supposed to do something and how you're supposed to do something, God, today, help us, Lord. Help us to know that your ways are not our ways, Lord. Help us to know that you are unchanging in who you are, your being, your nature, Lord. And you're always good, and you're always true, and you're always right. Help us to embrace that, Lord, for the moments of confusion, moments of doubt, even moments of fear. Father, we pray, Lord, that fear would not keep a grip of, over us. Father, I pray for the people in here individually, Lord. Father, I don't know them. You do. Father, you know why they're here and you know where their heart is, Lord. Father, you know if they're in situations that are crumbling right now. You know, Father, they're at a crossroads and they don't know what decision to make. Father, we cannot just throw a statement telling them to sit or to move. But Father, I pray as they have heard your word, that they didn't hear me, but they heard you and that you begin to speak and you begin to guide, Lord, and you be begin to move on their heart and help them as we help us as we trust you in these moments and in our lifetime, in this journey of faith, that we will be able to discern and that they will be able to discern right now from you being led by you, Lord. If they need to sit and wait, or if they need to stand up and march forward. Father, only you knew that. And so, Father, I trust. I trust that you speak to us, and I, I trust that you lead, and I trust that you put impressions on our hearts, Lord. So, Father, help us, whether it's an impression or something you put in our heart and our mind, just help us to discern when it's you. I, re I rebuke the voices of the enemy. Help us to rebuke the voices of enemy and lies and fear. So that we can hear you, so that you can guide us, our families, Lord, our lives. And Father, I pray the same prayer over our church, Lord. Over our church, Father, I know we need to be moving forward. It's not a time to sit and wait. So Father, help us march forward in whatever that means. If it's our faith, Lord, if we have to do something in this process, Lord, then give us, give us the strength, arm us for battle, Lord. Help us not to fear the enemy, but to fear you, Lord, if anything. So, Father, today we pray for, for us. I pray for someone that might not know you, that might be inquiring, Lord, or maybe someone struggling. Today, let them know that salvation is in you. And it comes through repentance of the heart, confession of sin, and turning to you, Father. Help us to turn to you right now. I pray that someone would have the revelation, Lord, that you died for them and that your, your blood forgives their sin. And Father, today we tell them that, that your word tells us that when we come to you and we repent and we confess our sin, that if we believe in faith, that then we are saved, Lord. And what that just implies is that we have a new life, we're a new creation in Christ Jesus. So today let them know that by their faith, their faith in your grace, that is a gift, that they can be saved today. That they can just call out to you, admit that they need a savior, and then trust you. 
So Father, we just thank you. We thank you for salvation that is taking place, for people that are here, for people that are watching. Father, we know that there's no limitation to your, to, to your being, to your spirit. Father, let us know whether you're burning in front of us or you're burning behind us and we can't see you. Let us stand on the truth that you remember us, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for your time.